in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we find the Hall of Faith, an impressive collection of people who put their trust in God on display for all to see. Over the past few weeks, we've learned from their example. Enoch stood up for God in a world of sin and walked with him for 300 years. Noah refused to quit, even though the whole world ignored his message. Abraham obeyed God when it didn't make sense and trusted him to do the impossible. Joseph believed God would work things out for good despite his difficult circumstances. But there's more to uncover about how to live a life of impact for God. Let's continue our journey through the great Hall of Faith. I want to welcome everybody here in the room, also those joining us on the stream and on TV. We're glad you're a part of the Sagebrush family. We are in the middle of a series called The Hall of Faith. But before we get into that today, for those in the room, when you came in, you got a contact update sheet. Uh, many of you filled that out last week. Please don't fill out a second one. That just doubles our work. But if you didn't get the chance to fill it out, you weren't here last week, fill out that contact update sheet. We want to have the latest, greatest information about you. On the back of the sheet, there's opportunities for you to sign up for small groups, for uh, recovery groups, to get baptized, any spiritual decision that you would like to make, it's available. Just drop it in one of the collection boxes on your way out. We would appreciate that. If you're at home or you'd rather do it on digital, just go to sagebrush.church update and you can fill that out. Hundreds of you did last weekend. We appreciate that so very, very much. Well, today we are continuing our series called The Hall of Faith. And today we're going to talk about Moses. And I thought we'd start off by having a little bit of fun. I'm going to show you a picture up on my TV. I'll tell you who the person is. You shout back at me. Play along at home. You shout back at me what this person is known for. Okay, fair enough. These are super easy. Won't be hard at all. Ready? Here we go. First person, Taylor Swift. What's she known for? Many of you said singing. I appreciate that. I heard an auto-tune over there. I appreciate that as well. Sometimes she doesn't sound the same in concert as she does on her records. That's most musicians today. You know? I'm feeling spicy. Just stay with me. All right, here we go. Here's the next one, Michael Phelps. Swimming, some say swimming, some say pot. Okay, it could be either one. Could be. <laughs> Here's the next one, Ryan Reynolds. Some, somebody said movies, I heard Blake Lively as well. But those are two good things right there. Okay, let's go to the next one. Oprah Winfrey. We really don't know, do we, to be honest with you? talk show host. She's been in some movies. She has a magazine. She tells you what book to read. That's Oprah right there, okay? How about this one? Bob Barker. Okay, how, how many think Price is Right? How many think have your pets spaded or neutered? Anybody? Anybody? Am I the only one? That's Bob Barker to me, okay? How about this one? Martin Luther King. Civil rights movement. Absolutely, civil rights. How about this one? Bill Gates. Microsoft, very good. You see, we're, we're cooking with kerosene right now, all right? That's good. Steve Jobs. Oh, all the young people knew that one. Apple, Apple, iPhone, okay. Tony Romo. There's lots of differing opinions. I see this, I see loser. That's what I see. Sorry for all the cowboy fans, which... Haters gonna hate Proverbs 5.8. All right, just look that up. Jerry Jones. 
Controls the Cowboys, right? That's what, that's what he does. I see self-absorbed narcissists who fired Jimmy Johnson who could have won many Super Bowls but didn't. That's what I see. When I, it's a joke. It's a joke, okay? Here's the question. What if, what if we put your picture up there and I shouted out your name? What would people say about you? Let's put my picture up there. <laughs> this picture just keeps resurfacing, doesn't it? So what would we say? We'd say, well, double chin. That seems pretty obvious. Looks like my neck's about to swallow my face, you know? Guy who can't wear a dress shirt effectively, right? A guy who doesn't know how to put on a tie. That's what most people would say. I think there'd be lots of people that would have different perspectives of who I am, about just like they'd have lots of different perspectives of you. So let's talk about the three main people that you'd like to know what would they say about you. For example, what do you want your wife to say about you? Uh, for me, I want my wife to say, nobody's ever loved me like he loved me. And now that he's dead, I, I just can't imagine getting married ever again. That's what I want to hear my wife say, okay? What, what, what do I want my kids to say when I'm gone? I want them to say, you know, my dad taught me about Jesus. You know, my dad wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He made all kinds of mistakes. He was a sinner just like anybody else, but he really loved Jesus. And, and he led me to love Jesus too. And I know that even though my dad has gone to heaven, I know that we're just going to be apart for a brief amount of time because I'm going to this place and I'm going to be with him. And we're going to this place with Jesus and we're never going to have to say goodbye ever again. I want my kids so desperately to have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you want God to say about you? I, I'll tell you what I want him to say about me. I don't think I'll hear it, but I love for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and I think that's the heroes of our faith. You know, I think that's what they wanted as well. And so they, they leveraged everything that they were and everything that they hoped to be. Even when life didn't make any sense, they just held on to God. By faith, they did these absolutely amazing things. And I think that's the kind of faith that all of us want to have, right? We want to have a resilient faith. We want to have a defiant faith. So we're going to talk about that today. How does God develop a resilient faith inside of you? How does God develop a defining faith inside of you? A defiant faith that just won't give up, that won't let go. I think it's very important that we understand the process and how God develops our faith. That way you won't be so stressed out. That way you won't be so anxious. You'll say, oh, okay, this makes sense. Now, now, the outline that I'm using today isn't original with me. Uh, Rick Warren did a message many years ago called The Six Phases of Faith. I thought it was absolutely genius. You can take about any story in the Bible and you'll go through these six phases. So I want you to see what the six phases are. And I want you to kind of see where you might be. Because at the end of the day, God wants you to have a resilient defiant faith. So how does it start? How does it begin? Let's look at it through the life of Moses. First phase is this. It always starts with a dream. God puts a dream inside of you. You see something that just doesn't sit right with you. You say something has to be done about that. It might be something that excites you. It might be something that drives you crazy. And rather than looking for somebody else to do what needs to be done, you say, this is my plan. This is the purpose. This is why God put me on the face of the earth. It is to do this task. It is to accomplish this mission. So the question is, what is the dream that God has put inside of you? Let me, let me give you a little background to Moses. Moses came at a time when uh, the Hebrew people were in all kinds of trouble. 
Uh, They found themselves in slavery to the Egyptians. This was a time in history when the Pharaoh looked out and he said there's more Hebrew slaves than than there are Egyptians. And so his idea of population control was that he would throw all baby boys, two years old and younger, into the Nile River. So you can imagine, Moses' mom, she's excited, she's pregnant. What do you bet she's praying for a girl? I think everybody at that time would probably be praying for a girl. And the reason they would be praying for that is they don't want soldiers busting in their house, ripping their brand new baby boy, taking him out to the Nile and drowning him, and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, I'm sure they counted down the days. I'm sure they looked forward to seeing that child and hoped and prayed that it would be a girl. But he came out, and it was a boy. Now, what in the world are they going to do? What are they, they going to do? Well, they, well, they do what any parent would do. They begin to hide the child. And as they hide the child, the child begins to grow. Well, here's the problem. You can only hide a child for so long. At some point in time, you can't hide the child anymore. Well, Moses' mom was a shrewd woman. She was a sharp woman. She did exactly what the Pharaoh told her to do. She put Moses in the Nile River. She put him in a basket and then into the Nile River. And then she had a great plan. She knew where Pharaoh's daughter bathed every day. And so she said, you know what? I'm going to float my child's basket on down. I'm going to have his sister follow the basket. And maybe, just maybe, Pharaoh's daughter will have mercy upon my son. And sure enough, her plan worked. When Pharaoh's daughter called for the basket to be brought over, she saw the newborn baby boy, and she had compassion upon him, and she decided to take that child in as her own. And Moses' sister got there at just the right time, and Pharaoh's daughter said, hey, is there anybody you know that's that's a nursing right now? And the sister said, well, there is a Hebrew woman I know that is doing that. And so Moses' mom got to help raise her son in Pharaoh's palace. That's a, that's a pretty good plan right there. Well, we know that Moses grew up, and we know at some point in time that he began to realize that he wasn't a, a, an Egyptian, but that he was a Hebrew. Now, imagine what that must have been like. I'm guessing that his mom told him the truth, but I'm imagining that he looks over the kingdom of the Egyptians, and he sees his people being beaten. He sees his people being mistreated, And it just doesn't sit well inside of his soul. I think Moses said, you know what? Someone needs to do something about this. God, someone needs to do something about this. And rather than looking to the left or to the right for someone to do it, Moses said, I'm just the guy to do it. Friends, that's how it starts. Something happens to you. You see something. You experience something, and it so unnerves you, it so unravels you, that you say to yourself, I must be a part of that. That's the way it was for me. The dream that God placed inside of me was to start this church, and I couldn't shake it. And I walked down to the senior pastor, Charles Lowry. I said, I I think I'm the guy for the job to start the church on the west side. And I was so excited. And I didn't know how it would turn out. I mean, never in my wildest imagination did I ever think that our church would see the things that we've got to see and be a part of the things that we've gotten to be a part of. It's absolutely amazing. I, I remember when we first launched the church, and there was just a couple hundred of us coming at the time. And I remember looking over at my wife. We were watching TV. We just turned off to go to bed. And I said, you know what? I've got to pursue this dream. I've got to do what God has placed inside of me. If I don't do it, I know I'm going to have the greatest regret of my life. And boy, wouldn't it have been? 
Because I would have missed everything that God is doing in our midst. So God puts a dream inside of Moses. It's not right that the children of Israel are being treated this way. Well, Moses is an impatient person. And the problem with Moses is he's got a bad temper. And he gets ahead of God. Let me ask you a question. You ever been in a hurry when God wasn't in a hurry? God gives you a dream and you go right after that dream and you take matters into your own hands and you mess things up worse than they were in the beginning. So one day Moses is walking around the kingdom and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating up a Hebrew slave. His anger gets the best of him. He jumps in, kills the Egyptian taskmaster. Now He's certain that all the Hebrew slaves are going to rise up and see him as the deliverer that he is. They're all going to have his back and the revolution will begin. But nobody follows Moses. In fact, he becomes the most wanted man in all of Egypt, and he flees out into the desert. And for the next 40 years, you know what he does? He tends sheep. For the next 40 years, he raises his family. Nothing wrong with that. But that dream that God had placed inside of him, well, I think it's a long forgotten dream. Don't you? Because he messed up. He blew it, and there's no way that God could ever use him. Forty years, the dream dies inside of him, until one day he's out tending his flocks, and, and he looks out, and he sees a bush, and the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he looks at it over a day or two, and he sees the bush isn't being consumed, so he says, I'm going to go check out this side. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. So he walks up to where the bush is. This is a theophany, a visible appearance of God through a bush. And God begins to speak to Moses. And he says, listen, I want you to take your shoes off. The place you're standing is holy ground. So Moses takes off his shoes. And he begins to have a conversation with God through the bush. And God says, I want you, Moses, to go back to Egypt. And that dream you've long since forgotten about, I want you to pursue it. But this time. I want you to pursue it with me. Now, this gets us to phase number two, decision. You got to decide. God puts a dream inside of you. What are you going to do? You're going to go for it or you're not going to go for it? You're going to go after the adventure of a lifetime or you're going to make some excuses because that's what Moses does in Exodus chapter 3. He makes one excuse after another. After another. He says, I'm not very good with my speech. I stutter quite a bit. And I don't even know what your name is. I mean, somebody's going to say, who sent you? And I'm going to say, I don't even know the eyes. Who are you? And God said, well, you tell them I am sent you. And Moses says, that's not even good grammar right there. I am sent you. That doesn't make any sense. I am who I am. Who going to say that? That's the craziest name I ever heard. There's a decision that has to be made. So I got to ask you a question. Do you have a dream? What's God placed inside of you? And have you decided that come hell or high water, that you're going to be obedient to it, that you're going to pursue it, that you're going to persevere like you've never persevered for anything in your entire life, and you're going to keep working every single day of your life for the King of kings and the Lord of lords until that dream absolutely becomes a reality, or are you going to make a lot of excuses? as to why you're not the right person for the job, as to why God can't use you in this manner. Some of us sit around every day thinking that you're small potatoes. You know what I wish people would do? I wish they would say, "Amen, hey, Lord, I might be small potatoes, but this spuds for you. That's what I wish people would do, don't you? 
John Ortberg in his book writes this. See the middle-aged man who spends his night sitting in front of a television set watching whatever sport happens to be on cable? He was once all fired up with bright plans for the future and strong yearnings to make his mark on this world. But somewhere along the line, all the fire went out and he settled for comfort. His dreams were sacrificed to a lazy boy and flickering images on a screen. He is the story of unrealized potential. Hope you enjoy your cheese puffs. Does that look like you? Does that look like me? Wasting our lives away, one cheese puff at a time. Greg Lavoie, in his book, The Common Cold for the Soul, he writes this, the common cold of the soul is when sinful patterns of behavior never get confronted and changed. Abilities and gifts never get cultivated and deployed until weeks become months and months turn into years. And one day you're looking back on a life of deep, intimate, gut-wrenching, honest conversations that you never had. Great bold prayers that you never prayed. Exhilarating risk that you never offered. Lives that you never touched. And you're sitting in a recliner with a shriveled up soul and forgotten dreams and you realize there was a world of desperate need and a great God calling you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You see the person you could have become but did not. You never followed your calling. You never took the big risks that God wanted you to take. That describes way too many people. Why are we so bored with life? Because we're not doing anything with it. God gives us a dream. God gives us an angst. He says, I want you to go for it. And then we hem and we haw and we make one excuse after another as to why we can't do it. We pursue lesser pursuits than the things of God and the kingdom of God. And we wonder why we're so empty. We wonder why we're so miserable. You want to get out of the rut? I'm going to give you your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. This is an opportunity for you to take a picture of this next screen that I'm going to put up. I'll even pose for the picture for you. But these are five questions. I want you to go home and I want you to think through these five questions. An unexamined life, a very famous person once said, isn't a life worth living now, is it? So will you take the time? Will you turn the stupid TV off? Will you get away from the noise and the chaos of the day? And would you just focus on what in the world are you here on this earth to be about? What is the plan? What is the purpose? What is the passion that God has placed inside of you? Here are the questions that need a compelling answer. What's your deepest dream? Why are you here? Why do you exist? For what plan? For what purpose? How about this one? How much passion do you experience in your daily life? You know what's crazy is I see a lot of passion nowadays. Passion about whether a person should get vaccinated or not. Passion about whether you should wear a mask or not. Come on, isn't there anything bigger in your life going than that? I mean, for a lot of people, unfortunately, that's not. That's the biggest thing. That's all you ever talk about. What about knowing Christ and making Christ known? What about the kingdom of God? What about leveraging your life for something greater than yourself? 
What about leaving this world in better shape than the way you found it? What about figuring out what that dream is and then going for it with everything you've got and all of a sudden you've got a passion and a desire to get out of bed every day? Most people don't live that way. That's why the days turn to weeks, the weeks turn to months, and four. Look at that, 2021's almost over. What do you want your epitaph to say? Knock it down to one sentence. What would your sentence be? See, this would take you some time, wouldn't it? It would really get through all the garbage that you're living for. And all of a sudden you'd say, hey, that stuff doesn't matter. It would get to the brass tacks, wouldn't it? How about this one? How often do you take risks that require a power greater than your own? (laughs) No wonder we're so bored. We don't try anything great. We don't count on God for anything great. We don't even pray big, hairy, audacious prayers believing that God can still do something miraculous. We pray safe prayers like, be with me. Didn't Jesus say, I'll never leave you or forsake you? Isn't he already with you? It's the biggest pet peeve I got. Somebody said, let's pray. And we pray and say, Lord, just be with us. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Where two or more are gathered, he's there. Be with you. He's always been with you. Wake up. He's there right now. Come on. Moving on. I don't even know where that came from. Where's it moving on? <laughs> if you had to name the one true thing that you believe you were set on this earth to do, what would it be? How clear is it to you? Some of you say, well, my, my, my dream's so big, so difficult, Todd. There's, I, I just don't know if it's coming from God. Because, you know, I've heard that God would never give you something more than you can handle. What a stupid, stupid phrase. You know what I've come to the conclusion of? If it's something you can handle, God's probably not in it. God always gives you stuff that you can't handle. God always gives you stuff where you're in over your head. You know why? So you'll rely upon him. And if you look at the Bible, one hall of faith after the other, one person after the other, they were all in over their head. But they trusted God, believed that he could do something supernatural in them. So you ready for this? So you have a dream, right? The dream, and then you have a decision. What are you, you going to do? And now there's a delay. It doesn't happen immediate. And why doesn't it happen immediate? Because God's getting you ready for what's ahead. So God's going to put you in the school of waiting. And while you wait, he's going to work on you. God's not doing something to you while you wait. He's doing something in you while you wait. All the heroes of the faith, they had a moment of of, of delay, didn't they? I mean, for Noah, it was 120 years before it began to rain. took him 120 years to build the ark. That's a long delay, wouldn't you say? Abraham, God comes to him, gives him a dream that's going to have a promised child, Isaac, and that all the offspring off of Isaac will be blessed, right? To be a great nation, there'll be a blessing to everybody else. He waits 25 years for the promised child to finally come. And last week, what we would look at, we look at Joseph. Joseph has a dream. He's a snot-nosed teenager, right? He's excited about the dream. He believes it's going to happen immediate. And then he's sold into slavery. And then he's thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. From the time he has the dream to the time the dream is realized, 13 years goes by. But what's happened in those 13 years? God was preparing Joseph. He's in Potiphar's house, which is a huge household. He's administering, uh, uh, taking, organizing all that. Then he's second in charge of the prison system of all of Egypt. That was a massive job. All that was to get him prepared. Prepared for what? For the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. He now has the organizational skills, the administrative skills to supply the seven years of plenty so that they don't run out of food during the seven years of famine. And Moses, how, how long does he wait for the dream to become 
a reality. He waits 40 years, doesn't he? And what's he doing during the 40 years? He's out tending his flocks. He's showing up every single day, isn't he? And what's going to happen to Moses when finally the Pharaoh says, you get these people out of here, Moses is going to lead these people like a shepherd leads his sheep to the very cusp of the promised land. God was getting Moses prepared for that moment in time. So what do you do if you find yourself in God's waiting room? Because I can promise you this, no one looks forward to it, right? I mean, no one's going to say on Monday morning, hey, we don't have anything to do. What should we do? Let's go to a doctor's office and just sit in the waiting room. Time will just fly by. No one's ever said that in the history of human history. You understand that, right? What do you do if you find yourself in God's waiting room? You keep showing up today. That's what you do. You keep being faithful today. You do the task that God has for you in this day. God gave me a dream to start a church. It did happen for four years. I waited and I waited and I waited. It got to a point where the class that we thought we were going to launch the church, it became a joke that the church was never going to launch us as a church. <laughs> Finally, they said, okay, you can do it. All that time, what was I doing? I was just trying to show up every day. Just trying to be faithful every single day to what God has for me, preparing me for what lies ahead. So we have a dream as a decision. There's a delay. You're going to love this. Then there's difficulty. Isn't this a great play? But this is the way that it works, isn't it? There's a difficulty that comes your way. For Moses, he thinks, okay, God gave me the dream. He says, I'm going to do this together with him. I made the decision. I'm going to do it. He has the delay period. He's got that down. He's learned all the lessons he needs to. So he walks into Pharaoh's court and says, hey, you need to let God's people go. You know what he's anticipating? Pharaoh's saying, you're absolutely right. Get these people out of here right now. That's not what happens, was it? Pharaoh says, I'm not going to release these people. Difficulty. And so what comes next? Well, plagues come next. Plagues upon the Egyptian people. If you think the dream is going to be a cakewalk, you better wake up. Because it's not going to be. It's going to take everything you've got. Let me talk to the parents in the room for just a second. Parents at, at home. I bet you have a dream that your kids would be godly. That they would seek after Jesus. Do you think that's going to be easy? That's going to be the most difficult thing that you've ever tried to do in your entire lifetime. To give them their own faith. To teach them in the ways and teachings of the Lord. That means you got to show up every single day, doesn't it? That means you got to take your relationship with Jesus seriously. That means you got to read the Bible together. you got to pray together. you got to talk about spiritual things. you got to make Jesus the centerpiece of your home. And, oh, friends, there'll be days you'll want to pull your hair out. There'll be days you're like, no, no, these kids are never going to get it. But you keep showing up no matter what. If you ever want to do something significant for God, you just need to understand something. You're going to take shots. There's going to be critics. There's going to be people that lie about you, gossip about you. There's going to be all kinds of terrible things that come your way. You're going to be very, very discouraged at some point in time. That's just the way that it is. Now, the question is, is what are you going to do with that? You're going to give up? You're going to quit? I read a story this past week about a farmer. He had a mule. Mule fell into an old well. Farmer sits there and he thinks, what in the world am I going to do? That old well's not worth anything. And that old mule, well, he's lived a long life, but I hate to have him suffering down there. I've got to do something humane to, to take care of that mule because I can't have him down there struggling like that. We called up his neighbors and brought the neighbors over. He says, here's the old well and there's the mule right there. It's been a faithful mule, but I, I, there's no way we don't have a crane or anything to get the mule out. What in the world are we going to do? 
One of the neighbors says, well, the most humane thing we can do is end his life quickly. And the quickest way we can end his life is to throw dirt down into the hole and we'll bury the mule and he'll die. Well, they couldn't come up with another idea. And so they said, all right, let's do that. So they all gathered their shovels together and they began to get scoops of dirt and they began to throw it down. Well, you can imagine how startled the mule must have been. One blow after another blow after another blow. And he was scared. He was anxious. He didn't know what to do. But then all of a sudden, a thought occurred to the mule. What if I shook it off and stepped up? Every time I got a blow, I just shake it off and I step up. That's what he did. Blow after blow. Dirt scoop after dirt scoop. He just shook it off and he stepped up. He shook it off and he stepped up. He shook it off and he stepped up. And it wasn't too long before he walked out of that old abandoned well. What's the point of the story? The things that you think are going to bury you might end up being the things that bless you. So what are you going to do? I'll tell you what I do. Shake it off. Shake it off and step up and keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He shook it off and he stepped up. All right, ready? Got a dream. You make a decision. There's a delay period. Then there's difficulty. You ready for this one? You're going to love it. Dead end. It just gets better, doesn't it? Moses goes in one day. Pharaoh says, get these people out of here. I don't want these people around here anymore. The plague of the death angel came. Finally broke him down. He said, get these people out of here. Moses is like, sweet. They are heading out. And so Moses begins to shepherd the people. And he goes exactly the direction that God has him to go. And God leads him right to the Red Sea. And it's not passable. And Moses has got to be thinking, what in the world are we doing at the Red Sea? Little does Moses know that back in Egypt, Pharaoh's changed his mind. (laughs) He's decided that he's going to kill his economy if he loses his free slaves. So he says to this army, he says, go get those people and bring them back. What in the world was I thinking? Now you got the Red Sea on one side of you and the most powerful army, the Egyptians, on the other side. What would you do? What would you do? I'll tell you what the people did. They cried out. They moaned. They groaned. Oh! You let us out here, Moses, just to die. What did Moses do? Same thing you should do when you find yourself in a dead end. He called out to God. And what did God tell Moses to do? He said, take what you got and be faithful today. That staff I gave you, Moses, raise it up. I'm going to do a miracle before you. And that leads us to the last phase, deliverance. God shows up. The Red Sea parts. The children of Israel walk across on dry land. Then the Egyptian army tries to follow suit, and the waters come back down, recede, and the Egyptian army is drowned on that day. Don't we love it? Deliverance. All of a sudden, the marriage turns around, right? The prodigal son or daughter that you've been praying for for years all of a sudden comes to their senses one day and says, Dad, Mom, you were right. I was wrong. Jesus is the answer. I need to come home. And you're like, what just happened? Because it looked like there was a dead end, and then all of a sudden, God parts the Red Sea, and you get deliverance. 
that job that you can't stand, that job that's going nowhere, all of a sudden you get promoted, you become the fat cat in the corner office. Deliverance comes your way. Oh, we love it when God shows up the way we want him to. But what about when he doesn't? What about when the prayer doesn't get answered the way you want it to? What about when the storm continues to pour down upon you? What about when the prodigal son or daughter still hadn't come to their senses? What about when the marriage continues to implode? Where's the deliverance in all of that? Hey, sometimes God does the miracle. Sometimes God parts the Red Sea. Sometimes God says, peace be still. He calms the storm. But sometimes he leaves you in the storm. And he gives you peace in it. You know what deliverance is, friend? It's knowing that no matter what comes my way, he's there with me. That he will never leave me or forsake me. And he never promised me that it would be easy, but he did promise me that he would go through it with me. And by the way, ultimate deliverance isn't on this earth anyway, is it? No, ultimate deliverance is the fact that one day our God made everything new again, that we're going to a place where there is no more death, there is no more suffering, for the old order of things has finally passed away, for behold, he's made everything new again. I don't know about you, but I'm just passing through. I don't belong here in this dump. I've got, I've got a mansion waiting for me in heaven. I'm going to a place where there is no more death, there is no more sickness, there is no more suffering, and there is no more pain. You know what the greatest miracle is? Is that when you're going through hell on earth, that he's your peace that passes all understanding. That he calms you down in the midst of the storm. I've been your pastor for a long time. I've been to a lot of bedsides of people who are dying of cancer. I'm always shocked. I'm always amazed. I shouldn't be at this point in time. Seeing these people's resilient, defiant faith. And they look at me and they say, you know what, Todd, I prayed. I prayed for deliverance. The kind of deliverance they were praying for was that God would touch their body, that it would heal them, that the chemotherapy would work, the radiation would work, but the cancer continued to ravage them. More than one occasion I've had people say, well, he didn't do exactly what I thought, but that's okay. Because I know to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And that's the greatest deliverance of all. So what kind of faith does God want inside of you? What kind of faith does he want inside of me? A faith that says no matter what comes my way, even if it doesn't make any sense, even if God doesn't answer my prayers the way I think they should be answered, even if God doesn't intervene in the way that I think that he should, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm holding on to him no matter what, I will be faithful to the one who's always been faithful to me. That's the kind of faith that God is trying to develop inside of you and inside of me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, give us that defiant faith, a faith that endures, a faith that won't quit, a faith that holds on as you hold on to us. God, we want that more than anything else. That's why we showed up. That's why we tuned in. Now help us, Lord, to relax as we go through the difficulties of life, knowing that your eye is always upon us. 
that you will comfort us and that you will help us. God, give us the strength to be faithful to you as you've been faithful to us. God, that dream that you've placed inside of us, God, I pray that we would see that dream through. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.